You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Every adversity, every failure, and every heartache carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Napoleon Hill wrote that in the opening of his book, Three Feet from Gold. Hey, hello, storytellers. And welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible's service. And you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is a man who faced adversity and found the seed of a greater benefit. He found it in his own backyard. He found it three feet from gold. Today, he is a successful entrepreneur who helps busy professionals and families create financial freedom by developing secondary income streams without sacrificing a major portion of their time. I'll let him reveal the rest of his story. It's my pleasure, honor, and thrill to introduce him to our show. Matt Miller, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Hey, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yes, indeed, my friend. So, when you were a little boy, Matt, did you have a dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, Lewis, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, my parents were both teachers, and uh, my grandparents on both sides, at least my grandmothers, did the same. Um, my grandfather, one of them worked in manufacturing, and the other worked in the cornfields of uh, DeKalb, Illinois, for a company called DeKalb Ag. So I didn't really know. I just wanted to get an opportunity to get out and experience the world and try some new things. And so uh, one thing led to another. I did well in school, and thankfully, the opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy for college ended up coming around. And um, of course, that started my journey in the military, at least to start the early part of my uh, career anyway. Well, that's great. That's great that you didn't know. Uh, maybe I should have asked you, have you grown up yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I try not to. But, that's that's uh, good. That's a wise <laughs> choice. That's a very wise choice. I, I absolutely refuse to grow up. So, you said you did well. Did you like, I guess you liked school, yes? Yeah, I loved school. I loved extra, extracurricular activities as well. In fact, when I was in high school, I ran track. I played football. I was in three different uh, choirs. I was in 12 different musicals and plays during my four years in school. So I definitely got my money's worth for sure. You know, the reason I asked that question, Matt, I mean, that's a great answer is that uh, you may be discovering this too. So many successful entrepreneurs just hated school, and a lot of them dropped out. But it doesn't mean that you have to have dropped out or hated school to be successful. But I love asking that question just to see. And who would you say were the greatest influences on you when you were a child? I would say definitely my my father and my my grandpa my grandfathers, uh, you know, all three of them exhibited a work ethic second to none. Um, they also um, 
were family men. They didn't have hobbies or interests where they were off running around with their buddies or whatever, uh, you know, after hours or that type of thing. They went to work. They did what they needed to do. They came home and spent their time with their family. So that was the modeling that I had from a very, very early age. Um, they were part of our life the entire time that I was in school. I was blessed to have them around for, for that long. And so, uh, you know, I live my life very similarly today because of that. And uh, what did your dad do? My dad was a teacher. He was uh, an, out, an outdoor environmental education teacher in a town called DeKalb, Illinois, which is about 60 miles west of Chicago. Mm -hmm. he, had, he had schools from all over the county come and learn about the outdoors and the environment and that type of thing um, from him on a really regular basis. And how did you find your way to being an Air Force pilot? You know, it's kind of interesting that you bring that up. Um, I, like I said, didn't know what I wanted to do and had a good buddy of my dad's who uh, we ran into at an art show one Sunday downtown where we lived. And he asked me, Matt, what, you know, what are your plans? What do you hope to do with your life? And I really didn't know. And he said, well, have you ever heard of the Air Force Academy? And I hadn't. He said, well, if you've heard of West Point and Annapolis, it's essentially the Air Force's version uh, it's a military school. It's the equivalent of a four-year full-ride scholarship um, in exchange for time in the military after you graduate. And so that kind of launched my entire career. Thankfully, I, I did, got good grades in school. I was well-rounded, like I mentioned previously. So I was kind of the ideal candidate for the academy, not realizing that at the time. And so was blessed to have gotten a, uh, a nomination from former uh, President Bush when he was vice president in the Reagan years and um, spent four years there in Colorado Springs uh, being indoctrinated and, and brought up in a military school. When you say you got a nomination from Bush, how did that, what was that, in, what did that entail? There's an entire process you go through. You submit for uh, a nomination from your your senator, your congressman, and then there was the opportunity from the vice president as well. Uh, each has a certain number of slots every year that they can give nominations for. And then the academy itself goes through their screening and application process. If you're approved from the academy or accepted by the academy, you've got to have a nomination to go with it because there's only a limited number of slots um, that are for folks that attend each and every year. Mm, okay, they're very good. Good for you. Now, what does it take to be an Air Force pilot? What are the, the qualities? What you know, characteristics? Well, I mean, the biggest thing that weeds most people's out, people out is your your health um you've got to have at least when i was going through you know 2020 vision um you've got to be healthy without any major ailments or or health challenges otherwise it's it's a really really competitive world thankfully for me um the competition occurred going into the air force academy and once i was there and once i graduated um as long as I was still medically qualified to fly after graduation. It was pretty much a sure thing at that point. Um, in fact, if you didn't want to be a pilot, you ended up having to go and sit in front of the three-star general and tell him why you didn't want to fly. So um, once I got into the academy and, and, and graduated, it was, it was already kind of a foregone conclusion. I'm sure change, things have changed quite a bit today. You know, there's a lot less flying going on, a lot more drones and, and all kinds of stuff to where the world has markedly changed in the last 30 years since uh, I went through that process. You know, Matt, the image of an Air Force pilot conjures up many things. Now, one thing for me is that a person who's an Air Force pilot has got to have it all together. Did you at that time? I, I mean, I guess I guess you would say yes. I mean, I, you know... I did everything right. I did well in school, not nearly as well at the academy as I did in high school, but 
you go from being a big fish in a little pond to a little fish in a big pond when you jump into a school like that. But I was around, you know, type A hard chargers, top performers every single day. And in the process, you know, I got better and um, it elevated my game completely during that time. Mm-hmm. I ask you that, Matt, because I know that you had gone through a period of real struggle before you achieved the success that you have today. So I guess another question would be, was there a face that you weren't showing to the world or at least not showing to everyone? Um, I don't know. I mean, perhaps. But the real struggle occurred after I got out of the military. Um, I served nine years as a pilot, did well there. You know, many people thought I was going to be, you know, a general someday and all that. It's just the way I was. But I realized that being in the military, having dictated to me what I was worth, and most of that being based on time and grade and not performance, et cetera, was, uh, was something that I, I didn't want to be a part of for my entire life. So I guess, you know, to the military side of things, I was, you know, I was a team player. I was there to do my thing and, and to continue to go up the ladder. But, you know, in my heart, I knew that the minute that my commitment was up, I was going to be ready to go and do other things. Mm. And, um, ultimately that's what I did initially in the corporate world. Though I realized that, you know, I, the itch wasn't really being scratched there either. And it took me getting into a really, really deep hole financially because of some decisions that were made in the company I was working for at the time that made me realize, okay, I've got to figure out how to take care of this myself. And that led to me learning and, and starting to dip my toe in this entrepreneur thing. Um, and, and, of course, that's ultimately led to where we are today. Right, right. Wonderful. Now, what is the story? You have a story about the York Peppermint Patty. You know, I haven't told that to many people. Um, when we were in that phase, all three of my kids were pretty young. And it just so happens that my wife and my three kids all have birthdays between August 31st and September 29th. So they're all packed inside of a month. We're at the lowest of low we can be financially. There's not a whole lot of money for anything, let alone, you know, extravagances for birthdays or whatever. So I think it was my wife got the idea of going to the store and getting one of those packages of York peppermint patties putting a candle in it, and that ended up being our birthday cake, and still is today, um, even though we've obviously worked ourselves out of that place we were in you know, 13, 14 years ago. So it's one of those things where out of necessity, we figured it out and, and did something that was a little bit different just because we wanted to be able to celebrate, but but we couldn't do you know, big parties or any of that kind of stuff. Gifts were kind of few and far between, and oftentimes were more necessities than than something fun for the kids or whatever. And um, so that's where the York Peppermint Patty came in. And my daughter actually just had her birthday, her 16th, uh, last Friday. And we pulled out the York Peppermint Patty and sang and celebrated, uh, despite the fact that, that we've moved on from that phase in our life. I love that. I love the story very much because what it tells people is it's not the actual material thing that you've got. It's the feeling and the values behind it. And I guess that's probably why you still to this day use it. Is it to commemorate that period of your life? Because like you said, it's not a question if you can't afford something else. But it must have some meaning to you. Well, it's just to remind us, you know, where we came from and mm. to remind us that, you know, what we have today is nothing but a blessing. And, uh, you know, to remind us to have gratitude for how far we've come and the opportunities that have come our way. Um, it's too easy to forget the past because uh, so much of it was negative. And in the process, we risk, you know, falling back into that 
in some way, shape, or form because we don't learn from our own history. Mm. So it's just a way to remember that each and every year for all of us. I love that. That's really, really good. You said something that really intrigued me before about you got a lot out of the military and, you know, certainly um, you developed um, discipline, a sense of teamwork, but they also gave you that mentality that what your life was about was trading your time for dollars instead of my performance and the value I deliver will determine how much I earn. No doubt. No doubt. Wow. I learned that or I learned that early on and I'm grateful to learn that. You know, there's a lot of men and women, many of which that I went to school with and many since that have served and are serving. In fact, many of the people I went to school with are the leaders of, of the Air Force today, um, literally, generals, etc. Um, and I'm grateful for the, them that, that decided that that was their path and, and for them stepping into that role. I just know for me, I, I wasn't happy there. I learned that because I come from a family of creatives, that I needed to have my creativity um, muscle worked as well. And where I'm not an artist like my parents are, um, on top of you know formally being teachers, uh, my creative bent has come out in business, and mm -hmm. I have the ability to to build that muscle each and every day as an entrepreneur. Mm, I love that. That is really, really good stuff. Now, how did a gumball help you to change your story? So I had tried several businesses. I had um, collected aluminum cans. I had bought and sold used books on Amazon back before selling on Amazon was cool. In fact, my library or my garage at one time looked like a library. I had so many books in it, shelves and shelves and shelves. But I had read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, at some point in time along that uh, time period in my life. And I bought into his old idea of passive income. So the opportunity for me to make money while I slept was appealing to me. Now, he talks about primarily doing that with real estate. The challenge with that is the fact that I couldn't even afford my own house at that point, let alone rental properties. So that was out. And a good buddy of mine at church one Sunday mentioned gumball machines that he and his daughters had purchased and had placed in local area businesses. And that idea, that conversation sparked the whole idea of vending initially with a, a candy and a gumball machine that I bought used on eBay. And you know, a gumball is 25 cents. So it was going to take a lot of gumballs for us to work our way out of the hole that we were in. But <laughs> but here's the thing, Lewis, the, the margin on a gumball at the time was a thousand percent. So I couldn't not do it. And the beauty was the machines were out doing the work while I was continuing to follow my career and continue to pay the family bills, you know, working full time. And so it was something I could do in the nights and in the weekends and slowly put together as I had money to do it. And over time, that little part-time deal, you know, was bringing in more money um, than my full-time career was. And I was doing it, you know, for a fraction of the time each week. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, um, that is a wonderful entrepreneurial story. Uh, how much did the first machine that you bought on eBay, how much did it cost you? It was $36, and I didn't even have to pay shipping because the guy lived across Houston, which is where we lived at the time. And so one Saturday morning, I loaded up two, my two oldest kids in my 98 Honda Accord, and we drove across Houston and picked up that first machine oh. and uh, found out the guy had 19 other ones, and he really didn't want to have to package them up and ship them to people. So I convinced him to hold on to them, and I'd come back and buy them over the course of the next few months as I had more money. And so that's that's where it all started. Wow. This is a fabulous story. So you began with one machine. Where did you put that machine? I started going door to door at businesses in my local community. And the first location that called me back and said, yeah, we'd love to do it, was a karate studio in my local area. 
So set up shop. They had kids' classes there just about every night. And it's kind of funny, two weeks into that machine being placed, I was like, man, I've never used these machines before. I see them around town. Does anybody really use them? So I went into the karate studio on a Thursday night. The place was packed with kids and their parents. I put the key in that machine and quarters spilled out all over the floor. And I was like, holy smokes, I have found it. And that was what spurred everything on since um, and made me realize that this vending thing was real and that if I was willing to do that over and over and over again, eventually I could make as much money as I needed to make and create options for me and my family. Oh, Matt, this is great. I mean, the image I got is you're a guy who walks into a karate studio casino and pulls the handle on the slot <laughs> machine and it spits out quarters and you go, wow, this wasn't just luck. I can duplicate this. That yeah. is fabulous. So tell us the story about how you gradually duplicated that. So you had this one machine and now you were excited. What, what was the next step? Well, once again, once I knew that I could do it, then all I had to do was find more locations. And just like in anything in sales, it's a numbers game. I didn't prejudge any location. I literally would come to a strip center in my area. I'd start on the right and go to the left, knock on every door there, knowing that chances were I was going to get a location or two by doing that. Um, too many people try to overanalyze. Okay, should I go here or should I go there or this or that? I didn't do that. I was like, you know what? I'll place a machine any place that they'll let me place it. And if the location doesn't work out, I'll, I can always pick up the machine and move it. Um, believe it or not, a lot of those machines, the majority of the business comes from the people that are working in the establishment and not the customers coming in and out. So a lot of the businesses that most people would drive by and think, oh, I'm not going to talk to them, are actually the businesses where you want to be because all you need is one employee that loves chocolate and puts a couple quarters in the M&M side of things every day or somebody who likes to chew gum, and they're going to feed um, much of, the, of that machine's revenue um, because they work there every day and they keep coming back because they know the machine's always there. Hmm. Did did you buy all nineteen machines from that other guy? Oh yeah. Within and, three months or so, I bought them all and had them all placed. And then, did you buy more after that? I found used equipment anywhere I could, and uh, I remember one time I had to drive all the way to the Little Rock, Arkansas area to pick up twenty or thirty machines that somebody had. Um, some I had shipped in. Eventually, I found out and figured out who the real legitimate suppliers were in our industry and started buying, you know, new equipment from them. But initially, I didn't know what I didn't know. And since I was teaching myself from pretty much the beginning, I didn't have a lot of the insider perspective that others that had been in the industry had. And so I just kind of figured it out and eventually got linked up with a Yahoo group where I learned about some of these other companies and their, their equipment and that type of thing. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. That is just wonderful. Now t tell us about your very interesting company name, School Spirit Vending. What's unique about this company? Well, I transitioned from candy and gumballs and all that into stickers right around 07 and 08 when the market tanked. I had some come, young kids come knocking on my door selling stuff for the local school fundraising, and that's what sparked the idea for School Spirit Vending. Essentially, what we do is we custom design spirit stickers for schools with their mascots and their colors, and then we play sticker machines in the school. Uh, it ends up being a passive fundraiser for the school, and it ends up being a passive income stream for our franchisees uh, that are in about 43 states in the U.S. currently. Okay, so explain that in a little more detail. So you'll put a machine in a school and it has spirit stickers in them, right? Yeah, spirit stickers and then whatever else uh, sticker-wise the kids are into. And um, we service it. 
We keep the product new and fresh on a monthly basis. And uh, the school loves it because they don't have to do any work for it. The kids love it because everybody loves stickers. And of course, we love it because just like I did with gumball machines initially, we now have the ability to be where all the kids are nine months out of the year, five days a week. Um, it ends up providing a lot more stable business and um, a passive income stream for our franchisees. So how much would one, how much would a sticker cost for a kid puts how much in the machine? Uh, 50 cents. And, and they get one sticker for 50 cents? Correct. And give me an example of what a sticker might say if it's not just a school sticker. Uh, we, we provide NFL stickers as an example during the football season. Uh, Star Wars is coming out. We've already approved artwork. Uh, and are going to have a series of stickers for the new Star Wars movie. Cute little puppy dogs. Uh, you name it. It's whatever, you know, the trends are in society. We make sure everything is kindergarten age appropriate. But other than, other than that, um, you know, we mix it up and use some of the licensed items that are available out there, but then create a lot of stuff ourselves. With 10 years of experience, we've got a pretty good idea what kids want. And and uh, these are stickers that kids can put anywhere, right? Correct. Right. And you said that it also serves as a fundraiser for the school. Correct. We write them a check. Uh, we, they get a, essentially a percentage of the revenue every month um, for giving us the opportunity to be in the in the location. Wow, that is wonderful. It's truly a win-win situation. No doubt. Now, your business success took you from a survive story to a thrive story. Now, how did it develop beyond that into a contribution story? Well, a lot of it, Lewis, is just the fact that you get to a point where the basic necessities are taken care of. And once we were able to get out of the debt that we were in and the hole that we were in financially, and then started having some extra come in, um, it allows allowed us to, to look beyond ourselves and start to have significance in others' lives instead of just being successful. And so some of the things that we've done to contribute, aside from you know raising millions of dollars for schools around the country, uh, I was inspired to read as a kid, reading comic books, and reading them early on uh, inspired me to be a lifelong reader, as an example. Well, I started looking at all the comic content that was out there today, and so much of it, it has adult themes and really isn't appropriate for kids, and decided that I was going to start my own comic book company. And so we uh, started that three and a half years ago. We've published 10 comics and two full-length children's novels. Uh, that ties in directly with what we do with our sticker machine. Um, every sticker comes in a little piece of cardboard that it gets vended out of the machine with, and we print on that cardboard. And so we've got little four-panel comics uh, with our characters, Marlin and Percy. There are a couple apes that want to be superheroes that uh, are part of each vend, along with some games. We also give away a bunch of comics out of our machines uh, by giving kids an access code to an ebook online that they can download with parental permission. Um, we've recently started something called Inspire a Kid at inspireakid.com, and we're beginning to create and produce a podcast and uh, provide content for schools, for kids and their families, um, inspirational stories from people who um, out in the marketplace uh, have done things that are inspiring. So there's a lot that we're trying to contribute. There are a lot that we're giving back. My goal ultimately is for little Johnny and little Susie to get, you know, 10 or $20 worth of value at least out of every vend and not just, you know, 50 cents uh, for every vend. And so because of where we are, we've got the ability to invest in some of those things and provide more and more and more for them each and every every day. That is wonderful. Now you were talking about a small uh, four-page little comic strip, right? Four-panel. 
It's it's four, like oh, four panel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, but you also have a full size comic book, right? Correct. We started with the little four panels, and those showed up on the cardboard sleeves in every vend that comes out of our machines. And then eventually, I, I said to the guys who are doing the writing and the, and the art, I said, let's start doing some full-length comics. And so uh, I think eight of them are available on Amazon today, uh, as well as at marlinandpercy.com. And uh, we're using more and more of that content to the benefit of the kids in our schools as time goes on. And who writes the comics? I've got a young guy by the name of Caleb Bolenbacher that I, uh, is a Baylor University graduate, um, was a friend uh, of his dad's at church, and uh, great, great, very um, accomplished writer. And he does the writing, and then his buddy Tyler um, does the art. Fantastic. That is just really, really super, man. Why should people take a serious look at multiple income streams? And I would say, why particularly today? I look at it as a spare tire. You know, we're foolish to drive down the road with our car without having a spare. Um, in fact, in our family, we've gotten to where we carry a full-size spare around, even though they got the little donut in the wall of the of the yeah. vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so it's a spare tire of income is ultimately what it is, Lewis. And we all know our economy and society is changing so rapidly that the things that, you know, we thought would be around forever 20 years ago, many of those industries don't exist anymore. And so for any of us to think that by standing still, there's security in what we do today, um, we're in for a rude awakening someday. So at a minimum, it provides some added security and some other options um, in the event that things happen. Um, you know, we've got, we started business in the Houston area. Well, the Houston area had a huge hurricane, obviously, um, with Hurricane Harvey here a month and a half or so ago. You know, that's going to impact the business, our business in that area for the next year or two. Well, if we were just doing business there, we'd in a, be in a world of hurt right now. But we've diversified in 43 states, soon to be all 50 states. Well, it's the same thing with developing income. You, you got your career. But with technology today, what else are you going to do on the side to give yourself options and to provide more stability and security for your family? Um, I agree with you uh, 200%. Um, <laughs> you, you must be... Are you familiar with Peter Diamandis? Uh, I am not. Well, I think when you read his book, which I comes up in almost every podcast I do because of its relevance, I think when you read the book, you're going to be saying things like, oh, my God, this man is saying what I'm saying. The book is called Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and impact the world. And awesome. very simple premise, the digital technology revolution is going to explode the world that we know into smithereens and those who are positioned properly to take advantage of the new world that comes about will live amazing lives. Those who bury their heads in the sand and just want to think that they're secure with what they have, they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. I, I completely agree. I hired a coach here three years ago, and he said, Matt, we're going to go to this event in San Diego called Social Media Marketing World. And then not too long after, he said, Matt, we're going to go to this event called Podcast Movement. I had no idea why I would want to go to social media marketing world. I had no idea why I'd want to go to podcast movement. And I think I had only listened to one podcast ever at the time, but I was willing to trust his insights and I followed him. And that exposure has me smack dab in the middle of this space today as a podcaster myself and doing some other things online that I would have never even thought of doing previously. Um, but thankfully was woken up to what's going on. I think when you, uh, like I said, when you read the Diamandis, 
you might look into he has a he has a university called Singularity University for high-end entrepreneurs who are into 10x thinking and are basically futurists. Uh, you know, um, lightweights like Richard Branson, uh, Elon Musk, people like that are associated with him. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, indeed. Wonderful stuff. So, are you a student of personal development? Oh, no doubt about it. Um, too many people in our society think that once school is over, they're done learning. And uh, in my philosophy, you know, learning started once I got out of school. Mm -hmm. uh, everything that I've done, uh, aside from foundationally, some benefits in, in finishing college and all that. Everything I've done, I've taught myself or gotten around people who could teach me since that time. And um, I'm a constant and avid reader. I regularly attend conferences and events. Um, I listen to podcasts and, and listen to audiobooks constantly. Um, you know, you're either growing or dying. I've got a huge vegetable garden down the hill here from our from our house here in EIEIO is what I call it. And uh, a green tomato is growing. A red tomato is dead. And so our goal is to stay green and to continue to be growing in, in everything that we do. I love that. Uh, I'm a big fan of... Uh... Bob Dylan, and I love the line from one of his songs, he not busy being born is busy dying. Yep. You know, um, yeah, that, that is. So uh, personal development, do you have any a, a favorite, uh, most inspirational personal thought leader that you would, uh, that comes to mind? You know, right now I am all about Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't really prescribe to the language, but the guy is a genius. And yeah, uh, so I've read all his books. Um, I listen to his podcast on a, on a daily basis. And, um, you know, aside from my coach, a guy by the name of Aaron Walker, that I spend a lot of time with as well, I would say those two uh, big time have, have had the biggest impact for sure over the last number of years. Did you say Aaron Walker? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, do you follow Joe Polish? Uh, no, sure don't. I Love Marketing is the podcast, and I think I'll warn you beforehand, you listen to one, you will become an addict. Awesome. <laughs> I, love mar I Love Marketing. It's online, and it's also on iTunes. And it's much more than marketing. It's about 10x thinking and personal development. Are you familiar with Michael Gerber? Yes. E-Myth Revisited. Yeah, exactly. Book. I know because the way you talk about uh, it made me think that uh, I hear a lot of his thinking about, you know, um, you would have to understand systems to set up the fran you, you You do franchising, don't you? Correct. Right, and franchising is a system, and unless you understand systems, you can't do that successfully. So how did you go from just providing the machines yourself to not then helping others and franchising that model and, and helping others to set them up too? My biggest goal was to, in, in my definition of success, is control over time and money, not just money. And so my biggest goal was to buy my life back and to, you know, work my way out of a corporate career. Well, I knew that if I owned it all, uh, I would just find myself just as busy with a lot more headaches because it would be my responsibility for every last one of them. I was exposed to network marketing for a number of years and the whole concept of owners versus employees was driven home time and time again. So when I started SSV, I intentionally decided that if we were to grow, that I wanted to find other people who were owners. I would teach them and, and thus duplicate myself every time 
a new person got involved on our team, they would make the majority of the money, but we would make a little bit from each and every bit of revenue that they created because we took the time to teach them and provide the system of support. And so what that's allowed me to do is to scale a business with a very small team and uh, a business that is all over the country um, from right here in Central Texas where I live um, because of the systems that we have in place and because you know each owner, each franchisee today is dealing with the issues and concerns in their individual locations. I'm not. Um, and so it ends up being a win-win all around. Um, you know, Zig Ziglar said, uh, you help enough other people get what they want, and you'll be taken care of. And that's kind of the philosophy that we've followed. You know, pour ourselves into others, teach them everything that we know, get out of the way. And as they succeed, we succeed as well. That's, that is just wonderful. And it is truly the formula for enormous success. Why is team building important and why do so many people get it wrong? Well, I mean, especially with what we're doing, we're all over the country. Putting together a team can be a challenge when you're as decentralized as we are. But it's it's wildly important because without that teamwork, without that support, you know, it, it's real difficult for any of us to get very far. And so we work really, really hard to, to develop the team dynamic. We uh, host masterminds for our team regionally um, each month to uh, develop and grow the regional team. And then, of course, we have an annual event where our entire franchise team and their families are invited every year in June where we get a chance to come together for several days, have some fun, but also learn a lot as well. And um, we're just one big family. And so that's kind of the way I look at the whole team dynamic. Um, and since none of us are competing with one another, we all have our own territories that are protected um, that don't conflict with anybody else. You know, we all can support one another in knowledge and um, you know, motivation, et cetera. And that rising tide raises all ships in the process. Mm-hmm. And what about why a lot of people who approach team building get it wrong? You know, I, I think a lot of it oftentimes, Lewis, is just that their motives are not pure. And because of that, people can read through that. Um, we have really, really worked hard to put our team first in everything that we do. And in doing that, um, we've got a lot of uh, loyalty. Um, we've got a lot of people that are very, very excited. In fact, the guys that got started with me 10 years ago are still with me today um, and we're as good of friends as ever. And it's because we've had our priorities straight and our motivation um, straight instead of, you know, having some, some plan running in the background or some ulterior motive that people can read into and, and see. Mm-hmm. You're spot on with that. How, how can schools raise money when their budgets are shrinking? Well, I mean, it, it obviously is a bigger and bigger factor in what they do every year because their budgets are shrinking. The challenge is that the industry that we're in, in a lot of ways, has not changed a whole lot. And a lot of the go-to fundraisers are the same ones that have been around for 10, 20, 30 years without much change. And they've gotten old, they've gotten tired. And not only are funds at a premium today, but volunteers and volunteer time is at a premium. And so um, developing an opportunity that takes care of the money side of things, but also doesn't require a whole lot of volunteer invo involvement has been a home run and is a home run today because of how busy we all are. Mm -hmm. And of course, schools that do business with you um, learn a lot from you about how to um, raise money. Correct. Beautiful. Can you kind of 
give a Reader's Digest version, demystifying the vending machine business for people. Because I'm sure there are people who have thought about it, but they they're probably they don't know anything about it. And they go, I don't know, man, machines, uh, how do I get them? And aren't they complicated? Do they require a lot of maintenance? People break into them, blah, 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 blah. How would you demystify it for people? It is the best kept secret, in my opinion, on the planet, Lewis. Um, the machines that I worked with and still work with are mechanical in nature. Uh, you know, we're not talking soda and snack machines. We're talking basic bulk vending equipment, candy, gumballs, toys, temporary tattoos, stickers, stuff that most people don't think of as vending when you tell them you've got a vending business. They automatically think of, you know, sodas and that. Um, I am not mechanically minded. I'm not an electrical engineer. So I, from the very beginning, didn't want to get involved in something that was overly complex because if something went wrong, I wouldn't know how to fix it. So the mechanical bulk vending machines was, was what made sense to me. The beauty of it is most people don't see it as a real business. The equipment is relatively inexpensive. You can scale it at whatever pace you want. I literally had $100 that I could spend to get our first vending uh, machine and everything up and off the ground uh, and use cash flow to build you know, the business that we have today over a period of years. Um, the other thing is that the machines, I, I literally have thousands of machines now, Lewis, between my own locations and the locations of our franchisees all over the country. As you and I are talking, there are, being, there are quarters being put in those machines all over the place. I'm not there. I'm hanging out with you. When I got started, I was working my full-time job, and those machines were soldiers doing their thing day in and day out without me having to be there. Mm. That was what turned me on to the idea. The other thing was, and so many people see this today, there's everybody out talking about technology and and you know websites and podcasts and this and that and do this and sell a course or whatever it takes a long time in most cases to develop a following online in the crowded space that we're in today it's a marathon it's not a sprint the thing I loved about vending is I invested that hundred bucks two weeks later I had a return I've been in the online world now for you know five six years and um, I'm just starting to make some money there with some of the things that I'm doing outside of what we're doing business-wise. It takes a lot of time. And, of course, things are changing so rapidly that you think you got something figured out and then you got to adjust because, you know, Facebook just changed the algorithm or whatever. The vending machine is still sitting there doing its thing. And um, I absolutely love it because of that. That's great. Now, let's say somebody wanted to get set up as a franchisee through you. What would their initial investment be? A uh, startup with our business is just shy of $20,000. Um, uh, about a little over half of that is the franchise fee itself. Uh, get somebody a protected territory geographically in their area, a set grouping of schools that are theirs to work in and out of. Um, we also have a mentorship program that's a part of that where we link them up with one of the veterans on our team for six months um, as they're ramping their business up. Um, they get product for their first five locations. They get the equipment for their first five locations. Um, really, really inexpensive in the whole scheme of things um, in the franchise world today, as most franchises in the U.S., average anyway over 150 grand to get started yeah you can go to a mcdonald's and um you know shell out a couple of million to get started exactly yes indeed what do you love most about the franchise model i think i've heard a lot of it in what you were saying but if there's anything else that jumps out for you i think the thing i love most is that it empowers people who want to own a business but don't know how, it gives them a way to own a business and to own it successfully um, following a proven business system. You know, I've gone through all the headaches and heartache to figure this out. 
if they're just willing to follow what we teach, we've given them a shortcut with over a decade's worth of experience to go from point A to point B so much faster than, than was ever possible for me in the early days as, mm -hmm. as we as we navigated this thing to begin with. Um, not only that, there's a support system and structure. There's uh, you know question, a place where questions can be answered. Our, our team benefits from volume as far as purchasing product and that type of thing um, versus going it alone and having no negotiating power in that way. Um, we represent a lot of volume, so it, it's beneficial that way as well. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what you help people to do is design a business system that supports their lives and not a life that supports their business. Exactly. Beautiful. Do you have a favorite book? Uh, man, there's a bunch of them. Aside from the Bible, obviously, which is number one, one that uh, is an oldie but a goodie is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, if you have not read it, guys, you need to you need to do so. Um, it's a game changer when it comes to relationships and and uh, you know pouring your life into people around you. Uh, of course, I've talked about Rich Dad Poor Dad already. One that I'm in the middle of right now that I'm getting a ton of. It's called the Twelve Week Year um, by Moran, and uh, it talks about how traditional goal setting for most companies, you know, based on quarters or years or, or you know, five or ten year periods um, is not the most effective way to work and to progress towards goals and uh, really, really an eye-opening book that's that's had a big impact. Now, the author's name is what? I think it's Brian or Brian or Ryan Moran, M-O-R-A-N, -O I believe. Actually, if you just go into to Amazon and put the 12-week year, it'll pop up right away. Exactly. That's fantastic. What about a favorite quote? I mentioned it already, Zig Ziglar, help enough other people get what you want and you'll be taken care of. Mm hmm. I had the opportunity in Toronto once to see him live, to see him speak. Yeah, incredible man. Have you ever seen him on stage? Yeah, I got a chance to see him once in Houston. He was like a cross between Anthony Robbins and Mick Jagger. Yeah. <laughs> so unbelievable. What a performer guy was. Yeah, he's awesome. Really, really awesome. Yeah, and totally inspiring. If you could wave a magic wand, Matt, and change one thing in the world, what would it be? It would be to give everybody across the, the, the planet the, the same opportunity that we have here in America as far as the freedoms um, of speech, you know, freedom of entrepreneurship, uh, freedom of worship, etc. You know, it's unfortunate that since we've lived in some very, very flush times over the last uh, decade or two, that we've gotten soft and we, you know, have looked internally for any and every problem that we could find here instead of looking externally. And anybody who's done any traveling anywhere in the globe outside of the U.S. realizes how blessed that we are here, despite the warts that every country has. And um, I would love for folks elsewhere to, to have that same freedom uh, to fulfill their potential and become what God has in store and has meant for them, like we have the ability to do here. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. How can people contact you, Mark? Matt, I'm sorry, I called you Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, I wrote a short ebook, Lewis, called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Start a Vending Business. And we've set up a landing page specifically for your audience. They can go to ssvbusiness.com slash change and download that for free. Beautiful. Um, from, from there, we can discuss franchise options if they want to discuss that or if they just want to learn a little bit more about vending. Um, I've also recently published a course called Vending Secrets to Passive Income and they can find that at VendingSecrets.net. VendingSecrets.net and the first yes, one was SSV 
business.com slash change business.com slash change and vendingsecrets.net yes sir fantastic any final thoughts i would just tell folks to get in the game and you know you have total control over what your story how it's written and how it ends and too many of us are letting life happen to us instead of us happening to life. And I hope this talk and, and others uh, on Lewis's show, et cetera, help the audience make those changes necessary to live a fulfilled life for themselves. Thank you so much. And it is so true. And I think people still, many people still hear that saying, you have total control and they nod their heads, but their emotions tell them, nah, it's not really true. And that's part of the narrative that they're working with. And it is profoundly true that they have the ability to. And thank you for reinforcing that. And thank you for adding so much value to the show today. Thanks for having me on, Lewis. And God bless you. And God bless you. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Matt Miller. I got so much from Matt's inspirational story. There are lessons in there about renewing your life, about finding new courage, about sheer persistence, and certainly wonderful lessons about gratitude. Please pay this forward and let people know that they can hear this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Take advantage of the free gift that's waiting for you at that website, a downloadable free ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You heard Matt and I refer to numerous books today. Any one of those books could impact your life in a very, very positive way, bring you greater happiness, bring you greater wealth, give you resources to tap into your creativity. Definitely go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Take advantage of the offer that they're giving to the listeners of this show to download a free audiobook of your choice from 120,000 titles and also get access for one month free to all of Audible service. I'm offering once again to the first three people who reach out to me, take action, let me know what you thought of the show. Send your comments to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com or loseclub, L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B, at gmail.com. I will offer those the first three people a 30-minute free consultation. We will look at any particular message that you would like to communicate to the world, any story you'd like to tell. And I guarantee you that within those 30 minutes, you will learn a new, more powerful and more compelling way to communicate that message or story. If you don't have a specific message or story, but you do have questions about how you can become a more powerful and effective communicator, that I will help you with guaranteed in those 30 minutes. One of the great lessons that I took from Matt Miller's insightful story today was that he discovered ways to basically take back his life when things were not going well. And I mentioned at the beginning that he had literally found answers for his new success and new happiness three feet from gold. I encourage you that if you may be challenged right now, maybe you feel you're stuck Maybe you feel that your life has come to a point where it's not that gratifying. Have the hope, the trust, and the belief that if you just take a few extra steps, look a little bit deeper inside of yourself, you will find your answer three feet 
from gold. And when you do, you'll be able to create a new, more empowering story for your life. To help you do that, definitely begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.